This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Tuesday, November 10th, 2020. On this day in 1898, white supremacists sparked deadly riots in Wilmington, North Carolina. Their hateful actions resulted in the only successful coup d'etat ever to take place on American soil. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Spotify original from Parcast. Today we're covering the infamous Wilmington Riots. Now let's go back to North Carolina on the morning of November 10th, 1898. It had been two days since the election, and while most of the state legislature had turned Democratic, the progressive, predominantly black city of Wilmington was expected to vote Republican. At the time, the party of Lincoln was aligned with the North and stood for the expansion of federal power and legal protection for the black community. The Democratic Party was aligned with the South and opposed these ideals. So for many wealthy white Democrats in Wilmington, it was crucial that Democrats win. No one was more fired up about this than Alfred Moore Waddell, a former Confederate officer and unapologetic bigot. For months, Waddell and his allies had been planning a way to put Democrats in power. They used racist rhetoric in their political speeches and campaign ads, but even that wasn't enough. On election day, a group of Democrats blocked black citizens from voting and stuffed the ballot boxes. Unsurprisingly, the Democrats won. Since the victory of the election, Waddell started looking for a reason to rally a mob. At last, he found his smoking gun, a newspaper clipping from Daily Record, a black-owned newspaper in Wilmington. The article, written by editor Alex Manley, openly challenged the double standard regarding interracial relationships. Manley pointed out that black men were always accused of assaulting white women, even when the romance was consensual. To Waddell, it was exactly what he needed to rile up his racist base. He claimed the article was proof that black men considered themselves equal to white men, and once again spread the lie that black men were coming for white women. Overnight, he was able to gather a lynch mob of 500 to 600 men. That morning, on November 10th, they marched down 7th Street, right to the Daily Record's front door. They didn't knock. Instead, they brutally smashed the windows and set the entire building ablaze. Luckily, the journalist Alex Manley had fled Wilmington before their arrival. As a plume of smoke billowed over 7th Street, residents of the historically black neighborhood fled. 
it was later reported that they took refuge in the cemeteries and swamps on the outskirts of town. But not all of them made it out in time. The mob chased after the residents with clubs and guns. Several men fired into the crowd. By nightfall, as many as 60 black citizens had been murdered. The racist white men were never held accountable for their crimes. In fact, over the next few months, they ousted remaining Republican legislators and put Democrats in their place. The illegally installed Democrats passed harsh Jim Crow laws, including the Grandfather Clause, an amendment that required all eligible voters to be literate or to prove that their ancestors already held the right to vote. This meant that the majority of black male voters who hadn't been given a chance at education would be excluded, while illiterate white voters would still be considered eligible. Using these tactics, the Democratic Party was able to purge thousands of black voters from the roll. From their stolen seat of power, Waddell and his cohort were also able to twist the narrative of the Wilmington riots. They claimed that the black community had instigated the riot. They were merely defending themselves and restoring peace. Incredibly, this false history persisted for a century. In the late 1990s, local historians and descendants of those attacked in the riots began to advocate for change. And in 2000, the North Carolina General Assembly established the Wilmington Race Riot Commission. Their goal was to develop a more accurate historical record of the events that took place in 1898. They also assessed the economic impact the coup d'etat had on the black community of Wilmington. The commission found evidence of a documented conspiracy by white elite Democrats in Wilmington and New Hanover County. They concluded that, quote, government at all levels failed to adequately respond to the violence or to reverse the political overthrow. It's hard to understand the full ramifications of this coup, which helped to uphold oppressive Jim Crow laws until the 1960s. Prior to November 1898, Wilmington, North Carolina, was widely regarded as one of the most progressive cities in the southern United States. In one fell swoop, all that progress was erased. Coming up, we'll cover the events that led to the downfall of this progressive city. Hi, listeners. To celebrate our favorite month, Parcast Network is releasing a slate of new shows leaning into all things spooky and spine-tingling. And now we're bringing you an original series called Superstitions, featuring the origins and impacts of our most unusual beliefs and the stories of those who dare to defy them. Every week on Superstitions, hear a new drama that illustrates the eeriness and unlocks the mysteries of humanity's strangest codes of conduct. Like holding your breath while passing a cemetery so you don't wake the dead and make them jealous, or carrying the foot of an animal known to have an evil eye, or using iron to keep away the devil. They may seem mystical or even completely illogical, but one thing is certain. You ignore them at your own risk. 
You can find and follow Superstitions free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. To hear more ParCast shows, search ParCast Network in Spotify's search bar and find a growing slate of spooky October programming to enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. On the morning of November 10, 1898, more than 500 white men terrorized a historically black neighborhood in Wilmington, North Carolina. When the smoke cleared, as many as 60 innocent people were dead. The riot was shocking. Before that day, Wilmington had been considered a progressive, multiracial city. But the seeds of hate had been lurking beneath the soil for decades. Thirty years previous, in the wake of the Civil War, Union commanders were installed in Wilmington to restore order and to oversee the ports. Many locals resented them. As an olive branch, the Union decided to install a former Confederate general as the new police chief, hoping a friendly face would instill trust. The chief commissioned former Confederate soldiers as his police force. What happened next was all too predictable. Almost immediately, the frustrated former soldiers took out their anger on the only group with less power than Reconstruction-era white Southerners, former slaves. Wilmington law enforcement unleashed a wave of violence on the black community. Though Union soldiers reported on the violence, they seemed to do nothing to stop it. Everyone was culpable. In the midst of this oppression, Wilmington grew to be a large, diverse city, and its problems multiplied. There were wealthy white neighborhoods that were off-limits to people of color, and many black families were relegated to poor areas, with little hope for advancement. But there were also many blue-collar and middle-class neighborhoods that were more racially integrated. These helped Wilmington become progressive in other ways. By 1898, black men served on Wilmington's city council and were magistrates and police officers. According to one account, 65 black men in the city were licensed doctors, lawyers, and teachers. It was progress like this that threatened white supremacists, including Alfred Moore Waddell. Evidence now suggests that Waddell and his group spent months planning the rigged election and riot. In the days leading up to November 10th, they bullied the police chief into firing the 10 black policemen on payroll. They used hateful rhetoric to embolden white vigilantes and form a mob. As justification, they cited Nat Turner's Slave Rebellion of 1831, which had taken place nearly 70 years beforehand under completely different pretenses. In 1898, 
the coup leaders blamed the violence on black rioting, when in truth, they had instigated a massacre of black citizens. At the time, black leaders appealed to President William McKinley, asking for federal marshals to intervene, but their calls for help went unanswered. What happened in the wake of the Wilmington riots is still considered the only successful political coup in American history. After the brutal attacks, white supremacist ideology was essentially made state policy. Thousands of black citizens fled the city, and most of those who remained were prevented from voting in elections. By 1902, four years after the riots, the number of registered black male voters in North Carolina had plummeted from 126,000 to 6,100. The suppression didn't fully end until the Voting Rights Act of 1965. It wasn't until 1972 that a black citizen in Wilmington served in public office. It would be another 20 years before North Carolina would send a person of color to Congress. Even as recently as June 2020, three white Wilmington police officers were fired after a leaked recording caught them using racial slurs and vowing to, quote, go out and start slaughtering people of color. Though it can be difficult to face horrors like these, it's only by examining the crimes of our past that we better understand the context of our present. Then we can enact meaningful change. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Kitovich. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Aaron Lan, with writing assistance by Alex Benedon. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Remember to follow Superstitions for new episodes featuring our most unusual beliefs. Are they side effects of ancient folklore or truly the masters of our fates? Look closely and examine the writing on the wall. Superstitions airs every Wednesday, free on Spotify. 